Welcome to Next Generation Saints. I'm your host, Nick Coombs. So we are going to be having a really exciting time tonight. I'm joined together over here with Robert Worley, or we just call him Bob Worley, and Carl Tycrib. They come from the camp of the unknown god from a location called Burning Man in the Nevada desert. So if you haven't seen the last few episodes, a couple episodes we did, we actually were talking about uh, what takes place in the philosophical side about Burning Man. This episode, however, we're going to be talking more about psychedelics and drug using within Burning Man and even into the churches and basic spirituality. So therefore, further ado, Bob, Carl, welcome back to the show. Well, good to thank be back, you. Nick. Yeah, good to be back. Thank you for having us back on. Oh, it's my pleasure, guys. So when we were talking earlier about Burning Man, you were talking about the psychedelics and whatnot and drug use that's used over in Burning Man. So do, why do people want to use psychedelics mostly at Burning Man? Carl, I'll let you do that. And then I'll follow up with some personal experience. Ooh. Okay. Okay. There you go. Burning Man is noted for... Um, in, in the public light, it's noted as a place where people come and, and experiment with psychedelics. Um, probably, while there is drug use there, there's no doubt. I mean, my goodness, I've seen it. You smell it. I've watched people pass an E at one of the art cars. Uh, you know, it's, it's definitely there. And it's certainly a part of that culture. There's no question that psychedelics and the Burning Man culture, there's an intermixing that takes place probably more important than the actual usage of psychedelics on location is the fact that this is the meeting place for the lobbyists, for the advocates, for the professionals within the psychedelic community, for uh, especially groups like MAPS that are engaged in, in working for the legalization of, of cannabis and then working for the legalization of psilocybin. In my country, Canada, cannabis is already, marijuana is already legal. Uh, and there's a lot of workshops. There's a lot of networking that takes place within the psychedelic uh, subcultures. And Burning Man becomes kind of a, a place where those kinds of discussions at an academic, at an experiential, at a spiritual level take place. Uh, Bob and I have gone to workshops on ayahuasca, We've been to workshops on psychedelics and spirituality. I remember one time Bob and I had went to a workshop on uh, shamanism, and they had a shaman who was there. Uh, shamanism, psychedelics, and neuroscience. And so these are academic. These are, are semi-professional talks. These are, are panel discussions. And while everybody thinks in terms of, of the psychedelic side and Burning Man as being a place where drugs are being experimented with, and yes, that is happening, Mm -hmm. uh, there's no question it's happening. The real interesting side of it is how it really becomes kind of like um, a gathering place to discuss this at a professional level and listening to those who are engaged mm -hmm. in that community at a lobbying advocacy professional level and how open, Nick, how open they are about their beliefs, their designs, their agendas, mm -hmm. their, their hopes and aspirations of bringing psychedelics mm -hmm. out into the mainstream. One of the, the conversations that I sat through, and I can't remember, Bob, if you were with me or not on, on this one, 
was uh, there was some discussion about the legalization of marijuana. And this is some of the same people who are involved in, in advocating for that legalization here in Canada and also advocating for its, its use in the US. But the understanding being this, that, that, that uh, marijuana, the legalization of it is a, is a doorway. It's a gate, gateway in. Gateway drug, yeah. That's right. And not a gateway drug in the way you're thinking. Okay. But a gateway drug in that if you can legalize marijuana, it's a gateway to legalize psilocybin. Oh. It's, a it's a gateway to legalize ayahuasca. It's a gateway to legalize LSD. Well, would it make sense then? I'm not trying to cut you off here. Sure. Just a question popped up. Then if they're trying to, if this is kind of one of those things that they're, it sounds like they're trying to basically try out different psychedelics out in Burning Man. It almost sounds like, hey, let's try this psychedelic out. Let's see what it's going to do with these people. And then we have the professional discussion over whether or not this is good. So it's kind of like that, like we were talking about the philosophies last time, where it's basically taking things that are unspoken and practicing them in Burning Man to make them more come to um, uh, a fermenting of wine, so to speak, and then to distribute it elsewhere throughout the United States and into Canada or other countries. It sounds like the same thing's happening with the psychedelics or with uh, drug manufacturing, which is, hey, I have an idea for a psychedelic or a type of drug or marijuana let's give it a shot over here let's try it out and then once we see whatever comes to fruition now we can distribute it and find ways of of saying you know like like having a board meeting in the middle of the desert saying hey you know how are we going to get the populace to go ahead and take this drug or how are we going to get the pharmaceutical industry to do this or how are we going to get these lobbyists or, or politicians to back this drug on the areas of a parliament or congress I like how you describe that. It's, it's, you're right in that it is like uh, it's like a board meeting in the desert. Um, it's literally a sandbox. Yeah, it's literally a sandbox. I mean, in a, in the most literal way, it is a sandbox where, where <laughs> ideas are being played with and toyed with. And where do we where do we go with this? But here here's the interesting, and I think the really important part, Nick, is the understanding that I have been hearing is that once psilocybin, once uh, psychedelics have been legalized in a significant way, that becomes the gateway to the, to the real agenda, the real goal. And that is the spiritual evolution of mankind into a new man. And that's the very interesting aspect, the spiritual aspect. It's recognized, yes, there are, and there are, I, I've been to a number of psychedelic, uh, attended different psychedelic conferences, Mm -hmm. uh, virtual virtual conferences and a ton of workshops, uh, both at Burning Man and, and the Parliament of World Religions and at other places. Um, and it's an understanding that this is a gateway into our human evolution. And evolution so the, as in we're trying to open our minds further or because evolution can, can be seen in so many different possible ways. So right. we're talking like this, the spiritual evolution as in like a new world religion, like we was talking about in the Bible, where one person will control all of that? Or can you explain that out? No, it's, it's more along the line of how Terrence McKinnon, who is a, a psychedelic guru mm -hmm. um, and a real philosopher in terms of, of psychedelic understanding, uh, he described it as the stoned monkey theory. And others have talked about the stoned monkey theory. The, the theory of, of evolution from that angle, and this is biological evolution, the theory of, of, of I'm going to butcher, probably butcher this, the, the theory, but in the stoned monkey theory, the concept is this, at some point, some monkey, some primate 
ate a mushroom or ate some other substance that opened up his consciousness and allowed his, his mental faculty to begin to process in ways different than the other primates. And thus began the evolution from primate to human. That's in a very, very loose knit way. That, kind of yeah, that's the, a different one than I've ever heard before. Usually it's, yep. um, whenever I talk to evolution, and just to go on a side note really fast here, I've talked to atheists about evolution before, and most of the time, we, and this is where we fall into kind of a hard issue, is they go, well, an asteroid came out of space, smashed into us, blew, blew the dinosaurs to hell, and everything on planet Earth died, then miraculously we came out of the ground. I go, well, then not everything died. How did we get here? And they say, well, evolution and all this, and we came out of the ocean, and all the things transformed, but I've never actually heard that one with the psychedelic one. That is a very interesting one. Yes. Yes, it is a fascinating a little theory. It's been disproven. It's been argued and disproven. But in the psychedelic community, that kind of thinking prevails. Here's what's interesting, Nick. I mean, I'm surprised you haven't asked us about our shirts yet because Bob's wearing a, <laughs> Bob is wearing a psychedelic shirt and, and I'm wearing a psychedelic shirt. Okay, okay let, me, let, me, let me get on this one really fast. Gentlemen, why are you wearing your shirts? <laughs> Well, we were taking. Look like hippies. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yeah, we we went on a trip to uh, Burning Man. Uh, no, what what happens is that it's a gifting community out at Burning Man. Right. And I think when you actually engage with somebody, and uh, like this one was given to me by a, a, a guy that uh, was out there as uh, some type of philosopher, I would think he, that he believed he was. And, you know, uh, I, I was good, a good tool and helped him out and so forth. And this was his gift to me, right? And so uh, Carl's shirt, I do remember a little bit uh, about that, but Carl, Carl's gonna have to tell you how he got his. I'm actually really looking forward to that. <laughs> I got my shirt uh, at the 2018 burn when a good, a good fellow who was camping beside us, he wasn't part of our team, he wasn't part of our group, but he became part of our group. He became part of our own little community. His name was Adam. And he was just one of the other burners who was there and he hung with us. He hung with our team. Man, Adam hung with us probably all week long. And at some point, this Adam was wearing this shirt. And I looked at Adam and I said, hey, that's a pretty funky shirt. And he goes, you like it? I said, yeah, it's cool. So he goes to his tent and he comes back and he gives me his shirt. And he's wearing a different shirt. It's a gifting economy. And so I got, this isn't my only shirt. I've gotten other shirts at Burning Man. Yeah, people will literally give the shirt off your back. <laughs> it might now, smell like men, but it'll be working. <laughs> He'd be like, oh, Old Spice. <laughs> Yeah. Full circle, full circle back to the psychedelics. I don't know, Nick, if you know where the tie-dye shirt comes from. I know it was popular in the 70s, and at the same time, mm -hmm. I also understand back in the 70s, and this is my limited knowledge, being a millennial, born in 88, so I'm just running off of what I've heard. That's fine. And a little bit off of that 70s show. It's a little bit. Okay. <laughs> um, from what I understand, it, it was, can it was the can not cancel culture, it was... Um, basically re open rebellion. It was about how we just left, got out of World War, World War II and ended, the Korean War had happened, and it was a rebellious phase right after the draft. 
And so people were experimenting. Uh, it was sex, drugs, rock and roll. And it was about trying to express yourself, being if it makes you happy, do it. A lot of it was known to be in San Francisco at the time. Um, also, Los Angeles had some of it. But it was basically like, if you want to live like a hobo and it makes you happy, you live like a hobo because it makes you happy. And it was about um, try out drugs, have sex with money partners. It was also known as, um, you know, the sexual revolution. Homosexuality really came into being. Also, discovery of AIDS taking place in the homosexual community or people who were having sex um, with multiple partners. So um, the tie-dye shirt, what I remember, was kind of like a almost acid trip or a drug trip. And you would see colors and vibrance. And this is what was described to me. So that's what I know. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, no, you, you're, you're, you've nailed it. Uh, man, you gave a great historical overview of the counterculture. That's awesome. The, the, the uh, uh, tie-dye shirt specifically emerged from Ken Kesey's acid trip, bus trip uh, from, um, from California. This is in the mid-1960s. By the way, I was born in 68, so I, I obviously wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> Bob was. I yes, wasn't. I was. Yes, I was. <laughs> Bob, you're and, on the hot seat now. <laughs> and and at one point, like this is a famous story within um, the U.S. counterculture movement and its change over from the '50s into the 1960s and and the age we live in today. But in the mid 1960s, Ken Kesey uh, and his merry band of pranksters, a group of, of friends. Uh, painted up a bus, had an old 19, I think it was 1936 school bus, painted it wild colors. This is before LSD was made illegal. Uh, they were all high as kites, stoned out as far as you could go. They had LSD and they were basically the Johnny Appleseed of LSD. And they drove from, they drove from California to New York City and then from New York City up to Calgary, Alberta and then back down to California. And all along the way, they spread the gospel of LSD, uh, the, the, you know, basically the gospel of LSD. Um, and somewhere, I think it was in Arizona, they got their bus stuck when they went off the road a little ways and ended up in this, I don't know, kind of in like the, a muddy area. And they're high. They're high. In fact, there's video footage. They had film cameras with them. And I've watched the, the, some of the film segments. They filmed the whole thing. And it was, it was a gong show. Um, and at one point they get this bus stuck. And so they're higher than kites, they've taken LSD. And I believe somebody poured some paint into this little slough. And they're looking at it, looking at all the weird funky colors. And then somebody dipped their shirt in it. And thus was born the tie-dye shirt. Tie shirt. And that became a multi-million dollar industry. That's right. Now here's, here's the crazy whole flipping things over. Burning Man is really nothing more than an extension of that 1960s bus ride. I was going to say, from earlier conversation, it sounds just like that. And it, it sounds it like there's two parts of it where you have what you just described um, culminating with the idea of, hey, there's some other people who know what's going on, know how to, like the wolves have come into the sheep's pen, and now let's give psychedelics to people to see how these things work. Let's get it so that the um, the politicians who are there, the UN members who are there, basically the heads of parliament or Congress who are there, let's feed it to them. And then, you know, and then if you're a congressman or you're from parliament or, or politics and you're also uh, a person who's, uh, I just totally lost the name of that one. 
basically people who back him up with money, right? Then next you know, it's, this is power, position of one, the position of power and lots of money. So I can see that being basically, wow. Like yeah. I, see, I, I, I don't know if any, uh, any members of parliament or any politicians are there doing psychedelics, but the fact that this is the discussion place, mm -hmm. that this is the networking uh, for that psychedelic, the serious psychedelic culture. I don't That's think they important. would ever take the drugs. It's kind of like when you have a business and you hear about the mafia, you watch the movies. But I remember in my line of business, I throughout my life, I've actually had a chance to talk to a couple of mafia people, even ex-mafia. And the one thing they always say is you never get hooked on your own drugs. Right. So it's like, I am not surprised when you say that, Carl, that they're not going to yeah. be hooking on their own drugs. They'll be there to watch what it does and to negotiate, but they will not take it themselves. Here's something that's kind of interesting, and then I'm going to turn it over to Bob. When you enter mm -hmm. the city, uh, and, and you'll, get, you'll get a where, what, when guide, and this is last year's where, what, when guide. It's about 190 pages of different events that you could do. We talked a little bit about that, I believe, mm -hmm. in our last interview. But you also receive a pamphlet. You receive a pamphlet on what happens if you get raped, which is pretty, uh, pretty brutal when you think about it. But they also have a pamphlet on the other side where to go if you are having a psychedelic meltdown. And they have Zendo tents set up in different places within the city. Um, and so if you all of a sudden you're having a bad trip, there's a place for you. And then here's a Zendo card uh, that, I, that I snagged out of one of the bathrooms. They just got them taped up in the bathrooms uh, telling you where, where to go, where, where the Zendo locations are. So well, how would they get there? Like trip, if you're, if you're, it's like you're, your brain is a computer system. If you're overdoing your brain, I mean, how can they possibly even know where to go or what to do or something like that? I mean, hopefully your buddies know where to go. <laughs> but you know, it was it was fascinating in 2019 when I was there. I, I spent a little bit of time interacting at one of the Zendo camps because I wanted to know how things how have things gone this week. And uh, okay, keep in mind, there's 80,000 people. There's a lot of stuff going on. And uh, the Zendo, the Zendo representative said it's been a very quiet week, which I'm thinking that's good. No argument there. Yeah. <laughs> so I know going shifting gears a little bit here, because Bob, you, you were talking about this a little earlier, and I thought we'd just hold off first for a minute so we can talk about it now. <clears throat> with this whole, the whole notion with these psychedelics, excuse me, <clears throat> a lot of dust flying around here in Phoenix right now. Lots of fun. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I could see it. Yeah. Um, but what I was, what we were talking about before we started the show, and I wanted to continue on this with you, Bob, as well, because you brought it up. It was a really good point. The psychedelics also leak into the church. We're now, as you were just uh, talking about, about how churches say in order to reach or understand God, you have to take drugs. You want to, I know you're really into that one. So I was going to let you run on that one. Yes. Well, I'd like to actually back up before I get to that. Okay. And and deal with the LSD experience in the magic mushroom experience and psychedelics in general. Uh, you were talking about the issue, talking about organized crime, not doing their own drugs. Mm -hmm. uh, organized crime was dealing with uh, cocaine and heroin. And, and, oh, okay. uh, and as time went on, uh, some of the lower uh, uh, elements of organized crime dealt with methamphetamines. And so one of the rules back back in the early '60s is that uh, that you 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 never got into drugs. That was a no-no. 
uh, but the psychedelic experience is totally another world. And uh, it, it's kind of like this, is that uh, when you have a word like pharmaceutical in the Bible uh, and so forth, they're not talking about, uh, uh, you know, me taking morphine for pain mm -hmm. or uh, somebody doing heroin, but we're talking about uh, mind-altering types of, of uh, drugs. And so back uh, in, in, you know, I think it was uh, 64 and before, uh, Scar was saying that uh, they didn't know what psychedelics were. So people were basically uh, having uh, their trips. And, uh, and when they say trips, there's a reason they say that, because they feel they're on a journey. You know, I was on that journey, right? And, uh, and so you start getting a counterculture communications between each other. And uh, basically, there's a lot of imagery, like, for example, the tie-dyed shirts. Now, I was the guy, uh, uh, my brothers were older, so uh, one of my brothers was really into the hippie movement. He was, uh, uh, you know, there with Timothy Leary. In fact, uh, I'd forgotten about this, but I actually have uh, one of Timothy Leary's books from that time period. And, uh, you know, we lived close to Laguna Beach and Bart Yoder was actually a, a hippie uh, poet, right? And so uh, what would happen is you'd get together and you'd have these trips and you would become basically within an hour a philosopher, you know? And I remember my first time, uh, you know, looking at an orange and I built a whole philosophy around an orange right but uh and it's it's hard to understand unless you've been there but anybody that has been in the psychedelic community knows exactly what i'm talking about you have uh psychedelics that 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 you uh could see yourself uh riding on a light beam right uh communicating in a spiritual way and uh looking for a better world and uh, I was, uh, one, of, one of the things that I, I, I'll give you a good example of the difference. I was uh, kind of with some bad crowds back then, but I, I was over at, uh, there was two witches, women, they were witches, and they had voodoo dolls hanging from the ceiling and all this. And there was a man there that was uh, really straight looking and so forth. Well. And then there was uh, a few other odd people and they had like uh, uh, aquariums with big snakes in them. And uh, so things, and it was, it was uh, for a, a number of us, it was a psychedelic experience, except for the straight guy. Well, he was a bank robber and a murderer. <laughs> it ends up that he got finally busted. He had escaped from prison, right? And uh, uh, the reason I say that is because this culture brings a lot of different people together that may not be together. I would have never went out to seek out witches, but all of a sudden, even the witch community looks like they have something to offer. And uh, so uh, 
even this this bank robber knew that oh you're on a, a journey on a spiritual trip to to go somewhere right so uh, the tie dye t-shirts i used to make my own tie dye t-shirts and, and uh table candles you know i made the table candles and all into that and there's an image that you get with all this and kind of a unwritten communications between each other and I remember getting together people and say, well, where are you at on your journey, right? Mm -hmm. And they would tell you, well, I'm here. Of course, everybody wants their journey to be, you know, way far ahead, you know. But it goes nowhere. It, it goes nowhere. It's, it's like peeling an onion and you get to the, the, the end of it and there's nothing there. It's just being lost. But the illusion is that you're actually learning something. You're actually achieving something philosophically and you start thinking if the whole world was like this right mm -hmm. so there there used to be plans to spike cities uh water uh uh you know systems with lsd to get a whole uh all los angeles tripping at the same time or or do it to congress and so uh there was a I think look was, on that yeah there was a movie <laughs> wild in the street I think it was, and uh, if that's not, if I'm not mistaken, what they did is that uh, once you hit 30 years old, you went into a, a hippie commune, concentration camp, and they just fed you LSD and you just walked around all day. And everybody under 30 actually ran the, the society. And so kind of where I'm going with this is that uh, when I left the 70s, that uh, I really looked at this whole uh, psychedelic thing as being something that just a few people did, and it was kind of in the past. Mm -hmm. And people were into meism, like let's get high on cocaine, or let's chill out on heroin. And so through the 80s and 90s, you've seen this uh, progression. And then all of a sudden, the issue of pot started coming back up the issue of psychedelics. And so when you go to something like Burning Man, like, uh, you know, Carl and I went to see, uh, uh, to a class with some shamans, and they were talking about how they network between each other and how you can get in networks in, in this country, for example, to get your, your psychedelics. Uh, we, uh, we went to, so, if, if, I, if I may, that they believe that they're actually uh, moving on spiritual evolution. They're, and when Carl said evolution, the evolution that we mainly think about is like this physical thing, but there's actually a spiritual evolution that's yeah. out there, that the whole planet somehow spiritually evolves and we get to this certain point, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so we went to, uh, I, I'll tell you the danger of it is that uh, Carl and I were at uh, uh, this training uh, class that they were giving with doctors and nurses and, and scientists and psychologists and stuff. And they were talking about, you know, microdosing and how that helps with P, uh, PTSD. And so to get this common 
as in the medical community to get it into uh, our society where it would be common to go to a doctor and microdose. And the claim is that after two microdosings that you shift into kind of a centrist uh, area. Well, and, I think uh, we could talk about it further uh, really fast, yeah. but we're coming up to the end of uh, part one right okay. now. So I will, uh, we'll continue this on in just a little bit, folks. Because I'm on a time limit with this on Zoom. So nice. we're going to go ahead and make part two. And uh, uh, Bob, I need you to continue on on that in just, uh, just a second. So just to wrap this up before we go into part two. Um, this is Next Generation Saints. Again, my, I am the host of this show, Nick Coons. And please tune in and just click on the next video, what you just see right after you're done with this one. And so you can hear the rest of Bob's story and you can continue on the discussion. So uh, please go ahead and click onto it.